0: So, uh, hi, I'm Stuart, I'm an alcoholic. Stuart. Welcome to the newcomers, and uh, welcome to the chip Thank uh, congratulations to the ship takers. And uh, Dane, the congratulations on uh, six years, is it? Yes, yeah, six years. Way to go, that's fantastic. And uh, Satch, is Satch go? Yep. We let him get out? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, there he is, okay, yeah. You've got to keep an eye on such, you know? I've been keeping an eye on him for six months. He's my spiritual advisor now. Uh, when I was an atheist, I, uh, I got in a lot of legal trouble in, uh, in Argentina, uh, and um, that was uh, pretty bad. And, and, I, and I didn't believe in God, but I was in real trouble. I mean, like, really big trouble. So I, uh, I found a Ganesh statue. You know Ganesh? He's the god that has the man's body and the elephant's head. And, uh, and, and I prayed to Ganesh to please get me out of Argentina. I couldn't pray to God because I didn't believe God. But I was perfectly fine to pray to a little statue of, a, of an ele- elephant-headed man. And, uh, and, and, and now I have Ganeshes all, all over the place. And uh, I don't have Jesuses anywhere, uh, but I do have little Ganeshes all over the place. So, anyway. I, um, I have a little bit of a timing problem here because... Um, in six months, I turned 73 years old, right? And um, I didn't drink for 13 years, so that's 60 years. Then I have six and a half years sobriety. At 73, you should have like 40 or 50 years, but it's, uh, but I'm, I'm, I only have six now. and a half. And then previously, I had another six and a half. If you add it all up, I've, I'm probably, I've, I've been, I was a daily drunk for 45 years. And I have uh, 40 minutes. That's just not going to work. So, um, what we did was. What we did was. um, You can't see it from here, but Bill uh, locked the front door, and we're all going to be here until midnight. But uh, but Ali makes the best coffee in AA, so so we're in good shape. And and if you're a newcomer, we're going to give you uh, four signatures on your card, so you're going to be all set. So a graduation card. I started drinking when I was 13 years old. I really desperately needed a drink when I was 13 years old. I uh, I was uh, I was raised in a family where. Uh, it was just, uh, you know, the, the, the game was, uh, was rigged against me. I, I, I didn't know it. I only found out a few years ago when I did genetic research that my father, our father, was actually not my father. I always wondered why he was so mad at me all the time, you know. And it turned out that my mother had been raped and, uh, and never told him, stuck that to the end and, uh, because she didn't feel she could trust him. And, uh, and he uh, had a complete emotional and psychological breakdown, tried to kill himself, everything fell apart. He'd been a uh, high-powered executive in the automotive industry and he completely fell apart and he blamed it all on me. And I, I, I never knew that. It was one of those things in my family where uh, you, know, you just didn't talk. It was, uh, it was known that, that dad doesn't like Stuart but nobody would say, why doesn't dad like Stuart? All I knew is he didn't like me and it was, uh, it was a very painful thing for me. And I, uh, I, 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 I don't like to equate that with alcoholism as not part of alcoholism, but it sure was one reason why I needed a drink, because I was living on a pressure cooker my whole life. And uh, I, was also born with a, uh, I was also born with a fatal disease called cystic fibrosis, if you know anything about that. I'm uh, one of the few people who's ever survived it. Puberty got me out. At, yay, puberty. And, uh, and But I was supposed to die. I was in the hospital over 40 times before I was 12 years old. And uh, I I spent about three years in the hospital, in and out. You'd be perfectly healthy, and then all of a sudden, bang, you had double double pneumonia. It's a a horrible disease. And um, so I missed a lot of school, but they figured I was going to die anyway. So why bring me up to snuff? So there I was. I uh, really wasn't wanted in the home, and I was not wanted very well in the school either. I wasn't doing very well, and I developed what uh, is known as a terminal attitude problem. I really, I I had, uh, the only place I knew I got along was outside everything, away from everybody. And I developed a core group of people who were uh, pretty much like me. And at 13, I took my drink in puberty mixed with alcohol and self-pity and resentments and anger and rage, and I was off to the races, man. And I found a whole bunch of people who were just like me. By the time I was 14 years old, I was a uh, a, a weekend, uh, blackout, uh, binge-drinking alcoholic. And I qualified to be an AA from the time I was, before I was even out of high school, I had every reason to be an AA. In high school, I was a criminal. I um, I barely stayed in. I was thrown out three times. I was taken out once in handcuffs. Uh, I stole uh, stole cars, broke into milk trucks, broke into gas stations, broke into homes. I uh, I uh, ran around with a bunch of guys uh, in a gang, and uh, you know we 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 beat people up and we broke things up and we carried weapons and uh, and uh, and we were a bunch of knuckleheads and. Um, then when I was 17, um, two people, a police officer and a, and a teacher, uh, turned me around. Uh, the teacher saw my file, my file was about this thick, and she called me in and she was a new teacher. She was one of these new kinds of people. She actually cared about students. We'd never seen one of those before. And, uh, and she said, uh, you know, I'd like you to be in my honors English class. I was a D student. I was, I, I was the guy they wanted out of the school. On my 16th birthday, the, the principal invited me to his office to tell me I didn't go to school there anymore because at 16 he didn't have to put up with me anymore. So, I wasn't exactly the most loved student in the school and it was Cooley High School, the toughest school in Detroit. And uh, she called me and she had this file and she said, uh, I've, uh, I think you must have a lot of stuff to say. And I just want you to come into my class and write. That's all I want you to do. So, um, Enraged, weekend binge drinking, drunken, angry criminal that I was, I went in and I started writing and writing and writing. I couldn't stop until my arms were falling off. And, I, and 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 I found out, and she would write A and very good and things like. It was the first time anybody had ever really given me any credit for anything. The other person who helped me was a police officer. I was arrested yet again for uh, minors in possession and then vandalism and all sorts of other things, destruction of public property and. And uh, I was arrested with all my friends, and he he got me alone. and He said, "You know, Stu, uh, you know, you you seem like a smart kid. What what are you doing with these guys? You know, what are you doing with these knuckleheads?" And I thought, "Yeah, what am I doing with these knuckleheads?" So I so, I ditched those knuckleheads, and I found a whole new brand of new knuckleheads. And 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 these guys were uh, were guys like I wanted to be. They were drinking guys, but they were guys with a plan. Drunks with a plan were. <laughs> Drunks with a plan became my new group of people, right? Drunks with drive and competition and, uh, and ambition, and uh, those were my kinds of guys now. Because it turns out I was a very hard working guy. At 14, I was—I had two jobs at 14, and I, I've been working ever since I was 14 years old, and I'll be working until they peel me off my desk when 50 years from now, I guess, and, uh, and so, uh, I, I joined the working world, and I got with these other guys, and we all had ambition. We all had things we wanted to do, and we were gonna. We knew we were. We, we were all bad students. We knew we couldn't get into a decent college. We were gonna go to community college, and we were gonna do all this stuff. And meanwhile, we drank. We drank like we binge drank every weekend. And now we've got cars. We've bought cars, and we're riding around, and we're we're drinking and driving, which didn't wasn't that big a deal in 19 early 1960s. And uh, and uh, and 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 we're just we're we're living the life because we're you know. We're we're like 17 years old, and uh, and and it's working, and we're, and we're gonna we're gonna go up up the rocks. You know, we're gonna do great. And then at 19, my girlfriend got pregnant, um, and uh, she was a beautiful girl. She'd been a model uh, for Pepsi-Cola and Brax candies, and we got married, and uh, because that's what you did. And uh, three weeks after we were married, she was four months pregnant. We were coming back from dinner, and a drunk passed out and came a uh, 45-mile head-on collision, and I got the uh, impact, and uh, she got the glass, and uh, her face was all uh, scarred up. And she spent about seven hours in microsurgery, and uh, the baby was born very healthy, perfect, my daughter Lisa. I now have three grandsons. and. Uh, and uh, I, I, we, we were just not emotionally equipped to deal with this. We, 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 we weren't able to handle this. But for the next two years, I couldn't drink because number one, she wouldn't allow alcohol in the house. Number two, I was working too much to pay off the bills. And all of our friends were off at college and listened to the Rolling Stones and Frank Zappa. And we're, and were, uh, you know, were just working and we're struggling away in poverty. And, and so when the accident settlement came, uh, you know, I, I just gave it to her. I took a couple thousand dollars, and I did my first geographic. I did my first. Let's see if we can escape from Stewart, you know. And my sister lived in France, so I went off to Europe. And uh, and I spent. I was 21. It was 1968. There is no. There was no better year in the history of Earth to be on in Europe, and and uh, so much was going on. And I, and I just spent all my time drunk. And I encountered drugs I'd never seen before, and all sorts of things. And it was just—it was just—I uh, I don't really remember much of Europe. But uh, I was there for about six months, went through all my money, came back, and then I had the next experience of an alcoholic. I had to come face those people that I had just walked out and I never said anything to, and, and try to have some explanation for them, and there was just no doing that. But now I'm 21 and I can drink. I don't need to be a weekend binge drinker. And now I'm 21, I can drink every day, and I, can, and I got a job working for the airlines. And the airlines I worked for uh, were cargo airlines, and these guys drank like I drank, and they were actually employed, and and they were bosses. Some were directors, vice presidents, managers, and, and these guys drank just like I drank. They drank hard and they played hard. And they thought I was real smart. I came up with procedures, and I came up with all sorts of things, and if there was anything to do, I raised my hand, I'll do it, I'll go. So charters came up. We were flying a lot of charters over Vietnam and all over the place. And I said, I'll do those charters. And I became a loadmaster. And that's what I became. I became a loadmaster. And, uh, and I started flying uh, on airplanes all over the world. And, uh, and, and I could, you know, when you're on the road, you can drink. There's nobody there to watch. There's nobody there to see what you're doing. As long as you can get away with what you can get away with, there's nobody who knows you're showing up smelling scotch the next day. There isn't isn't anybody who knows what you're doing. All you need to do is get that airplane back where it's got to be and get the load off. And if you can do that job, you're a hero. And that's all. Nobody asked me any questions. And so for years, that's what I did. I I flew those planes around the world. I flew animals. Pigs, sheep, cows, horses, uh, oil rigging equipment, microwave communication equipment, medical supplies, uh, bombs and ammunition. I flew stuff all over the world. I, w- I worked for EDI, I mean, for 11 weeks, paid for by the American government. I, I, I was the last American out of uh, Iran with a machine gun in my back for six hours. And it was, I had a wild time and I and I just drank. I wasn't able, I wouldn't able to do it if I didn't drink. I just drank all the time. I didn't have a sober, full day from the time I was 21 years old and I could, and I could get to a bar till the time I was 42 when I went into AA the first time. That's wrong, I had three full days sober. I got stuck in Saudi Arabia, and you can't get a drink anywhere in Saudi Arabia. So that was the end of that. And I thought it was like a miracle. Three days sober, oh my God, I thought I was a life changer. And uh, I went on from there and I, uh, I, 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 I became a partner in a business because of all the connections I'd made, these very rich guys. Uh, had a great idea to put duty-free shops on board airlines and they needed somebody who knew the airlines and had connections and by this time I had connections all over the world and so they made me a partner and I became a one-third partner and within six months I'd taken one of the things one guy had told me in confidence blackmailed him with it and gotten rid of him and now there was only two of us and we did eight million dollars worth of sales the first year and now I was in a whole new game and uh, and now I could drink anything I wanted. I could have a beautiful bar in my apartment. And now I start running around with the kind of people who make a lot of money and drink, people who steal a lot of money and drink. I start running around with a whole different class of people who are out of my league. And and my mind is starting to slip. My mind had been starting to slip for a while, but now it really starts to go. And I can no longer remember things in the afternoons, not when I'm, I'm not talking about when I'm, not, I'd still, I'd been a blackout drinker from the time I was 25, daily blackout drinker, but now I can't even remember what's going on at a business meeting in my office. I can't remember what's going on at a lunch meeting. And I have to hire people to take care of Stuart. If you want your next paycheck, Stuart's got the connections, Stuart's half, you know, the half of the boss of the company, and uh, we have to take care of Stuart, so somebody had to tell Stuart nicely because Stuart's got a kind of touchy about this stuff, you know, and you don't want to hurt Stuart's feelings. And uh, you know, Stuart has really delicate feelings, and so everybody had to take care of me very nicely, and they were paid very well, and and we rolled along like that until uh, until I crashed it because I'm an alcoholic. My story is one of. Incredible luck, blessings, miracles, uh, hard drive, determination, but I'm an alcoholic, and I had nothing left. I, would, I was always the guy there who had to show up, and I couldn't show up. I wasn't reliable, I wasn't dependable, I wasn't respect, respectful, I wasn't polite. I became un- underhanded, I became, I became desperate, I would do anything I had to do, I would, I, would, I, I, I would lie, cheat, steal, it didn't matter. Along the way I was married, and I, and I married my best friend, my best drinking buddy, and we had uh, this, uh, this, 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 uh, this amazing marriage where, where it was all airline people and fun people, and it was drink, 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 and go, go, go. And, uh, you know, I, just, I, got, I got to the point where I just couldn't wake up any more days and look at her swollen eyes and, her, and, 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 and just not know what I'd said or what I'd done. And, uh, and my morals and ethics went to the wind. And I had girlfriends wherever I had girlfriends. And I, had, I lied about everything and lied badly. And because if, when you're a blackout drinker, you can't remember very well what you said. to defend yourself. And my life fell apart. So, I just kept trying, I just kept getting up, and I just kept getting, getting given opportunities, and I'm like a person who's divided in half, not that Jekyll and Hyde thing, but I'm like a person who's two different people, and maybe you relate to that. There, there is a side of me that I think is the good side, and I think that's the guy everybody sees, but there's also this guy who is really not a good guy at all, and that's the guy I always didn't want, didn't want to pay attention to. But that's the guy who's there, and that's the alcoholic, and that's what it's all about. So that was the guy I needed to deal with. By this time I'm making, I'd made a lot of money, and I'm living on the 33rd floor overlooking uh, Central Park um, on 58th Street, and uh, and uh, with sweeping views of your neighborhood. and. Uh, and I've got uh, you know a closet full of Armani and, uh, and 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 two two or three apartments in, in, in Aspen, and I am who I am, and don't you know who I am? And I want to jump out the 33rd floor window because I'm I'm just empty. I'm I'm dating doctors and lawyers and stockbrokers. I'm dating women who put uh, who make uh, you know. Two hundred thousand dollars a year. Put half it on their backs, and the other half up their nose, and it's go, 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 go. And I, and I've got the emptiest life I can possibly imagine. And yet, and yet, I've got everything, and I just can't imagine what the hell is wrong. What's what's wrong with me? I'd uh, I I'd, I'd decided to go to a therapist when I was forty-one years old, and. Um, He's licensed to treat alcoholism, substance abuse, so I had to lie to him very carefully about all my drinking and, and drug use. And, uh, and, uh, and I was able to do that for about a year, and then one day I just couldn't do it anymore, and I went in and I told him the truth. I told him uh, about the blackouts, and I, I told him. I didn't have to tell him very much. He got it just like that. And, uh, and he said to me, you know, you're an alcoholic, you know. I said, well, I think I'm a borderline alcoholic, and you know. <laughs> And uh, and he said, "Yeah, you're 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 borderline. Like you know, you're 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 as much an alcoholic as anyone I've ever seen in my life." And he said, "I have some good news for you. Um, the good news is you don't ever have to drink again." And I started to cry. There's nothing that cheers a man's therapist up more than when he starts to cry. This, this makes his day, and for, from that, he was then in, he was locked in, he said, but the bad news is I can't see you again unless you go to AA, you have to get sober. So, and he said, but if you do get sober, your whole life's gonna change, it's all gonna be better. You're not gonna believe what's gonna happen when you get sober. So I ran off the next AA meeting promptly, I took a pink cloud right to the, next, the first AA meeting I could find. <laughs> And, uh, and there I was, and I showed up at a place called the Church of the Heavenly Rest, which is called the Church of the Heavenly Dressed in Manhattan. And it's all the, uh, you know, the glitterati and all the, the wealthy, successful people, because that's where I belonged. I mean, I'm dressed in Armani, and I'm, a, and, and I'm, I, I'm, I'm here. I have arrived. I'm here. And, and that's how I went into AA. I'm 42 years old. Uh, February 27th, 1989, there I was. I, I had arrived in AA. And uh, and I had quit drinking. Quit. Because I'm such a good guy. That's that good side, huh? I'm such a good guy, I'm not going to drink anymore. And, and it's, I, I'm doing it for the good of humanity and for the good of me. And, I, and, and, and I'm just about to achieve sainthood. And so I, 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 got a, uh, I, I got a sponsor. I got the oldest sponsor in Manhattan. And... Uh, as soon as I saw the most beautiful girl in AA, I uh, I, I went right after her, and uh, and I married her. And um, my sponsor told me, "Do not marry, do not marry that woman." I married her right away, and uh, and. Uh, she had been, uh, she'd had a lot of damage as a child. She'd been uh, seriously abused as a child. And, and uh, you know, I, I have nothing against money. And she, she needed money. It was, she needed a financial cushion. And I realized that as soon as I was talking to her. So I pretended to have a lot more money than I had. I lied to her about the money I had. I pretended to be rich and all this of stuff. And I wasn't. I, you know, pissed all my money away. It was all gone and uh, and And this was a very serious thing for her. you know she was she was about thirty five years old. she wanted to have a child and I was really at that, that last chance and, and 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 my lie kept that from happening for her. Uh, we were married for six years it was a it was pretty bad and I thought I was the AA guy. I mean, I, I, I was doing service, I was, I, I was going there, I was, uh, you know, doing meetings and all that stuff, and I couldn't understand why I felt like such a fake. I felt like such a phony. I couldn't understand what's the matter, you know? And when the wheels fell off my bus and Connie left and the business fell apart, I was humiliated. And the one thing I couldn't be an AA was humiliated. I had, it, my image was everything. and so. The people I'd gathered around me were people just like me. I had no one to talk to, and I went to talk to my friends. And they say, "Well, you know, keep coming back. It's you know, easy does it. Uh, You know, first things first. Don't get too hungry, angry, lonely." I said, "Is this all you got?" My whole life has fallen apart. Well, you know, I don't. I mean, they were just like me. They, 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 they they were just. uh, They had no program either. None of us did. So out I went. I went out like this. And I, I, I'm, I forget the fact that I was a, a blackout drinker for 15 years every day. Forget all of this stuff. Forget the fact that my whole memory was gone. My, my mind was shot. I decided I was better off going out and doing my own, doing my own thing. I didn't need AA. AA was, uh, AA was for losers, I decided. So out I went. I, you know, the great, the great thing about success is that we get to define whether we're successful or not. You know, that's, that's the whole thing. We get to decide, are we a success or are we a failure? And I decided that my drinking, re-drinking, was so successful that it was just phenomenal. I had obviously disproved AA wrong, you know? I was, I was functional, I looked, I, I, I looked like I was actually carrying it off. If I would meet with other AA people, I would make sure I didn't touch my drink, and I knew it was driving them crazy, I wouldn't touch my drink while they were sitting there to make them, and, and of course, I would hardly drink it, and then when they left, of course, I'd get, I'd get hammered. You know, I started playing in a whole new double game, right? But I'd, I'd, I'd been in AA now for seven, for seven years, and, 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 and a lot of stuff had, had, had hit me that, you know this thing, your disease is out there doing push-ups, you know? My disease was out there doing like, I don't know, some kind of kung fu or something. I don't know what it was doing. But my, I, I told people in, in my business, I said, now look, I'm going to go out drinking again. Here's what I'm going to tell you. If you see that I'm out of control, you let me know and I'll immediately go to a rehab. Of course, I'm asking people who don't drink to tell me if I'm out of control. <laughs> they, they have no idea at all. So of course I am out of control. My my, my decision making is automatically horrendous, and, uh, and and I now have this this I have this business. I, I got to tell you what my business is. When I got sober, the first time, uh, towards the end of my, my first sobriety, I was approached by American Airlines because I everything I'd done at all had all been airline related and duty free shops and uh, and air cargo and all other stuff. So I knew a lot of airline people all over the world. And American Airlines came to me, and they had a problem. Uh, they had a problem with their little mini, their liquor bottles. They were losing 17% a year of their mini bottles. And, uh, and they had a serious problem. And, and, and they said, uh, w- w- can you think of any way to solve this problem? You're very good with logistics. And I said, yeah, just send them all to me. And um, so they sent me all their little minis. And, um, and I became the mini guy for the airlines. And I now have three warehouses, and I do all the minis for the airlines. I got all the minis for American United, Delta, I used to do TWA and Continental. I ended up being the mini guy. So, um, when I went back to drinking, it turned out to be a pretty good career move, you know? And so, uh, so I ended up being the mini guy. Those, that's my business. Now, that business was too demeaning for me. It wasn't important enough. I, I, I couldn't be bothered having a, a warehouse. It was too low class. I was off starting other business, so I'm, I'm stealing money from that company and doing all this and starting these other businesses. I've, I've started 12 businesses. And the lesson I, wanted, I, I want to leave you with here is I mean, you, you, can, you can start all the businesses you want, uh, at least I can, but if I'm the guy running it and I'm drinking, that business is not going to last. That business is going to fall apart, because I'm mean to my I, I just stop respecting anyone in, in, in the business. I, I don't show up, I'm not reliable, I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm not respectful, I'm not anything, and, then, and, and so the businesses collapse. And I do what any alcoholic does when he gets the business collapses or anything collapses and he starts getting embarrassed. He gets angry at it and throws it away. So I would invest lots of money and lots of time and lots of it I'd build up a business. It'd be a very promising business. And I would just uh, throw it away. Just like I did the house that I owned with my uh, my best drinking buddy, Wife. And... Uh, I put years and years into this house. I, it was a 100-year-old house. I bought it for $33,000, and I, uh, and I completely gutted it. And did, I, I did years and years of work on it. But when I walked away, I just said, yeah, hey, take it. Like it was pocket change. That's, that's how I used to treat everything when I was an alcoholic. Nothing had any value. People didn't have any value. Uh, possessions didn't have any value. Companies had no value. Relationships had absolutely no value. Nothing had any value, but everybody had to know how important I was that, that was my whole thing. It was just I had to be important I had to impress so I would go on i 've built a number of companies, and none of them exist except that one that some other guy runs he doesn 't drink so thirty years old, thirty years he 's sitting there surrounded by alcohol and, and, and the thing just keeps clicking along because I have nothing I have nothing to do with it i 'm not even involved in the thing so I didn't know what I was gonna do. I started several companies, uh, one for the Food Network, another one, uh, you know, I, I started a whole bunch of different companies and they'd come up and they'd gone down and things weren't going well. And one day I go into my warehouse office and I'm sitting in my office and a guy named Todd Buckvar walks in. Todd Buckvar is not meaningful in any way, except for the fact that I love to say the name Todd Buckvar. That's the only reason. And Todd Buckvar walked in and he said, Stu, how would you like to buy the building right over there? I had like $200 in my bank, account. I was dead broke. I'd, uh, I'd just uh, gotten out of debt for $350,000 for some really ridiculous thing I did. And, uh, and I said, uh, Todd Buckvar, I have no money. And uh, he said, you don't need money. The guy owns the Budweiser Distribution for Long Island. He's going to finance the whole thing, even put the money up. All you have to do, the SBA's all lined up. All you have to do is sign it, and you'll own the building. So I bought the building. And I, and I bought the warehouse, and now we move into that warehouse. And we move all the liquor and everything in the warehouse. And I'm sitting there, because I have nothing to do. I, I don't really do anything there. At the Christmas party every year, the newest employee can be counted on to come up to me and say, what do you do uh, here? What do you, uh? I say as little as possible. That was, that was my answer, because I, I, I did nothing. I contributed nothing to the company. So I bought the business, and, uh, and it was, it. I didn't buy the business, I bought a building. And the building, it was it's not, it's not exciting to own a building. I mean, it's, it's a warehouse. I mean, there's nothing exciting or interesting about a warehouse. How am I going to impress anybody to say yeah, I, have, I have a warehouse? There's nothing impressive about that. So that was not acceptable to me. So a few years later, Todd Buckfar comes back. And um, it's now uh, 2004. And Todd says, Stuart, this building that you bought is now worth a million dollars more than you bought it for. And I think I have a buyer. Would you like to sell it? I said, yes, I would. I would, I could, I could, I would like to have a million dollars, Todd. So he said, OK, let's arrange that. So now I'm, uh, I'm in my late 50s. I I'm mean, I'm, I'm like 59 years old. And Todd arranges the this, uh, this sale of this business. And when I turn 60 years old, I have $900,000 in my bank account. I have $900,000 because I haven't paid the IRS the $250,000 I was supposed to pay them. I figured I'd pay them later with all the money I made by investing that other money. Now, which is how Bernie Madoff ended up in prison. So, um, so, and I figured out, since I was drinking adequate amounts to be very you know, intelligent, massive quantities of alcohol, I figured out the best thing I could possibly do Would be to uh invest it in Argentina our real estate. Uh Argentina real estate tanked, and uh and uh and there I was with all my money in Argentina and I couldn't get it out. But I needed money bad. Not for the IRS, I needed it for myself. I needed it because I I wasn't able to impress anybody anymore. And uh so I went down to Argentina and I uh I tried to sell the properties, I managed to sell one, and I, and, and, but I couldn't get the money out of Argentina, it was illegal, so I, so I did what any sensible alcoholic would do, I was wearing cowboy boots at the time, I stuffed $100,000 on my cowboy boots, and I walked out of the country, and I, and I got out because the mail guard had taken a, a bathroom break, so it was a total fluke, but I went back to get another $100,000, and I didn't make it out that time, and they threw me in solitary confinement, and I got uh, uh, enmeshed with the president of the Argentina, and she said she was going to send me to the worst, the worst uh, prison in Argentina for the maximum period of time. That was on the front page of the Buenos Aires Herald. So I, I wasn't in very good shape. Then all the wheels came off. Any controls I'd ever had completely fell apart, and now I couldn't stop drinking for more than 20 minutes at a time. And that became I get to have a drink every 20 minutes. And it took me uh, three months and a half a million dollars to get out of Argentina. It had everything I had, and so. I'd made $900,000 when I was 60. By the time I was 65 years old, I had $60,000. That's, um, so I'm a pretty good entrepreneur, right? I mean, I'm a pretty good businessman. And, um, and I had a serious, serious, serious alcohol problem. Now I was, now I had serious auditory and visual hallucinations. Things were falling apart. And I, I go back to California and I, and I, uh, and I think the dogs next door are barking at me in a kind of a code. I'm trying to figure out what it is. So I'm throwing stones at their fence. And, and, uh, and then the police are coming and the neighbor's yelling. And I think the helicopters are circling my house, but pretending to circle the neighborhood. And I think my grandsons are plotting to kill me. He's 11 years old. He's plotting to kill me. And, uh, and, and, I'm, uh, and, I, and I've got resentment and bitterness and anger and rage. And I'm being pulled under. And I'm crazy. I'm actually crazy. And I always thought people who were crazy knew they were crazy. Turns out they just think there's something wrong. And since I don't know what it is, and it can't be me, it must be you. And you. And you. And I start to get sucked under with paranoia. I ran a warehouse. This makes no sense. And I have an office, and I fully decorated, with nothing in the warehouse. And I start hacking into my employees' emails, and I print out thousands of emails. And I have, I'm color-coding them, trying to find the plots. And I'm nuts. I'm completely full-blown nuts. I wake up a year later after getting in the Argentine jail, and I wake up, and I have a spiritual experience. And it's, very, it's the most amazing thing. And, I, and, I, and a voice sort of tells me. It's okay, you're just crazy, but you're curably crazy. You, you need to get help, and you know where to go. I get drunk one more time, and I go to AA, and I meet an Irish guy, and this Irish guy says, I think you know, I, think you, I, th- I know that you know that you know everything about AA, but you don't know anything about AA. Sit down, this meeting meeting's 365 days a year, every day at seven o'clock, give yourself a year. Your brain's a mess. I do that. I get sober. I try to figure out why haven't I been looking at this program before because I've been in and out, in and out, in and out and, and I can't make it. And I look up at the first step and it says we admitted we were powerless over alcohol and I realized I'd never admitted I was powerless over alcohol. As soon as I admitted I was powerless over alcohol, the program opened up to me. Then I had some humility. With the humility came some gratitude and the rest of the steps opened up in a way that they'd never opened up before and I finally felt like I belonged in AA. All of the damage I did with my family, with my grandsons, with my business, with my employees, I have found people to be enormously generous if you use the tenth step and you use the other steps and you really try to Instead, I called all three of my grandsons, uh, uh, you know, Bud, Buddy, because I couldn't remember their names. So I found that if I actually started using their names and tell them I love them and tell them I was proud of them, if I started started telling my employees I was proud of them and thank you for what you're doing and I'm sorry I I'm, I'm just not having a good day today. I'm sorry I I said that and and I started treating people with respect. I'd been an atheist. I change in a dot like that because alcoholics can do that. We change our minds all the time. So why not change my mind about God? And, uh, and God say, that's okay with me. And I, everything was good. I tried this program as an atheist that did not work. And, uh, and it's been a turnaround for me about six and a half years is all I have. It's a lot of time. As far as I'm concerned, I've had almost seven years before, but this is the real deal. And I'm, I'm really glad to be here. This is, I, I moved a block away from here. I lived over, just off Rancho Niguel now. So this is going to be my, my regular meeting every Sunday. And besides, Ali makes the coffee. I go anywhere Ali makes the coffee. <laughs> and, uh, and he makes coffee all over this area. So I love that guy. So thank you very much, you guys. This has been, this has been terrific, and I, and I really appreciate your...